0: And welcome back to Regionally Speaking with your hosts, Dee Dotson and Tom Maloney. On Tuesday, November 7th, Hoosiers from across Indiana, including right here in the region, went to the polls to vote for local office, office seats. Lakeshore Public Media played host to live coverage as the results poured in. Today, we recap some of the live interviews with a few of the newest mayors in Lake and Porter counties, starting with the city of Gary. Soon after leaving the podium, addressing his legion of supporters, City of Gary Mayor elect Eddie Melton joined regionally speaking host Tom Maloney to talk about his win. Two term state Senator Eddie Melton was elected the 22nd mayor of Gary in a general election landslide over Republican nominee Andrew Delano. A longtime advocate for economic development in the Steel City, Melton shares his pledge to make Gary greater. Every single day. Here's the conversation.
1: I'm told now uh, we do have Eddie Melton on the line. Uh, Senator Eddie Melton, or is it Mayor-elect Eddie Melton? How would you uh, like to uh, to be called, sir? Uh,
2: good evening, good evening. Eddie's just fine.
1: <laughs> Eddie's just fine. Congratulations, Eddie, on your uh, victory tonight. And I should note, uh, probably the biggest win of the night um, the numbers came in early, and I think you were sitting at about 94% of the vote total, and they never really changed or wavered. Uh, looks like the uh, the Steel City is on your shoulders. How does that feel?
2: Well, it's definitely uh, a tremendous responsibility, and uh, it's an honor to serve the city of Geary. It's been an honor to serve as state senator for almost eight years, the Senate District 3, which included several communities in northwest Indiana. Uh, but you're right, there's going to be a tremendous uh, uh, hurdle, uh, uphill that we're definitely ready for. Uh, but like I said tonight to our supporters and those watching, is going to take a collective, uh, push and in, 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 in galvanization of the community. Uh, my office and administration working collectively with the council. I'm able to share the vision that I have for the city to move us forward.
1: Eddie, I have to admit, um, during the primaries, um, we absolutely loved every single uh, track, every single song that was coming out. Um, I don't think I'd ever seen a uh, a political campaign that had uh, uh, so many songs for a candidate. And uh, you all better get ready for Eddie, I think, was probably playing on (laughs) repeat in the studio for the longest time. Um, I got to ask, where where did that idea come from? We didn't get a chance to talk about it during the primaries, so I figured I should probably ask you now. Um, was that your idea? Was it a campaign idea?
2: N- none of it. it. This that was from the people.
1: That was from the people. Okay, okay.
2: We we had individuals creating their own songs to commemorate and celebrate our campaign, uh, and I just appreciate each and every one of them. Uh, we know that music is a is a communication tool, and when used, correctly, and I'm just proud of our community that used they use R&B, they use our culture to truly communicate the importance of voting.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Eddie, what are the uh, the biggest things that you're going to look to uh, to tackle here as you uh, take on the role of mayor?
2: Uh, a few things I think is extremely important. Number one, we want to make sure public safety is the primary issue that we're going to Ensure that our police officers have the tools and the resources that they need, the training that they need, the technology that they need to ensure that we police safely and smartly uh, throughout the city in Gary to secure the 50-plus square miles. Addressing blight is a, a very critical issue. Senate Bill 434, which is the last piece of legislation that I was able to pass leaving the Senate, is going to kick us off and give us the, the foundation to start tearing down a lot of the blighted structures in Gary. Mm-hmm. Uh, based solved the resources, we were able to garner from the wagering tax increase from the state, as well as the support of the Northwest Indiana uh, RDA. So we have a myriad of issues. Uh, There's no no one issue that we're going to be able to just tackle alone. Again, it's going to take a collective, but we're going to lay out a vision in the next couple of weeks. We're going to take a tour throughout the city and share the vision that I have, ask the citizens to help us prioritize these issues based on the resources that we have. And so we can tackle these
1: issues in a more strategic way. And uh, one, one question for you, probably more of a housekeeping question. How does the transition work for you now? Are you still a state senator until you're inaugurated as mayor, and then you step down, or do you have to step down beforehand? And then how does the, uh, the selection process go to fill out your term?
2: Well, we have an opportunity to uh, speak with uh, leader Greg Taylor, uh, and when the time is right, I will relinquish my seat. And the Northwest Indiana uh, delegation uh, of the very precinct organization will have to, uh, caucus someone in to finish my last term, last year in my term. Uh, I feel very confident that we have some individuals that will be very, very good, that will be able to navigate the uh, the world of indianapolis and Indianapolis and will be able to be strong and, and lay down uh, another foundation similar to what senator rogers has done for me and uh, that i have done for this individual so uh, i'm sure that it will be announced pretty soon
1: mayor-elect eddie melton joining us here live on lakeshore public media Eddie, congratulations on your victory this evening, and we wish you and the Steel City the best of luck. Thank you so much. God bless.
0: And you're listening to live coverage, a recap of live coverage of Lakeshore Public Media's election night uh, with officials from across northwest Indiana. Republican Austin Bonta defeated incumbent Mayor Sue Lynch, a Democrat, in the city of Portage's race for mayor. A former special education teacher and the co-founder of Soundtide Music School, Mayor-elect Austin Bonta currently serves on the city's Fire Merit Board and previously served on the Plant Commission as well as the Board of Zoning Appeals. Bonta's campaign focused on financial responsibility, public safety, and attracting more businesses to Portage. He joined Regionally Speaking host Tom Maloney from his campaign celebratory party. Here's the conversation.
1: Other biggest story of the night right down the road in Portage. Republican challenger Austin Bonta has defeated Democrat incumbent Sue Lynch. We now have mayor-elect Austin Bonta joining us here on the studio lines. Austin, good evening.
3: Good evening, Tom. Thanks. uh, It's great to hear from you again. You as well.
1: Congratulations. You and I have spent a lot of time together over the last uh, several months, including a debate back in the spring. We spoke as well during the May primary night, debate just a few weeks ago for the fall general election, and now speaking with each other on general election night. Uh, congratulations. How does it feel?
3: Hey, thank you so much. Oh, are you there? Can you hear us? Hey, yeah, sorry. I have There's a call coming in, so first I heard the beep. I apologize. Gotcha,
1: gotcha. Uh, How does it feel tonight to uh, to come away with that victory?
3: It feels incredible, and I am so thankful to, first of all, my family, um, to everybody who was on my team, and, of course, all the voters in Portage who were willing to give this chance for what I think is going to be a great opportunity for our city for the next four years to uh, really make a positive change in direction.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a city that has had to overcome a lot. Of course, uh, we remember the tow truck scandal of about uh, six years ago at this point. Uh, Mayor, uh, former Mayor John Cannon taking over. Uh, Mayor Cannon then losing to Sue Lynch. Sue Lynch having to take on. Uh, a lot in terms of financial and fiscal responsibility to get the city back to a, a solvent point. Uh, what are your plans now to help uh, grow the bankroll for the city of Portage and uh, increase and be able to bring more, uh, 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 I guess, amenities as well as uh, things to the residents of Portage?
3: Yeah, so it's going to start with we need to update our comprehensive plan for our city for the first time and what'll be 15 years, bringing in residents, bringing in community stakeholders and partners to identify the economic, but as well as the social, just the community goals and how we're going to achieve them for a five-year plan. And we're also going to address some of the, I don't mean to say the low-hanging fruit, but some of the issues that we've had in Portage that have been roadblocks for business success, such as um, complications in our zoning map, um, extra hoops in our approval processes, getting that streamlined. This is going to be a administration that is positive when it comes to growth, positive when it comes to business uh, development. And I believe that in the long run, that's going to be what generates the tax base that we need to get Portage on the long-term path to financial success as a city. And then turn that over to provide the best infrastructure and services to our residents.
1: And uh, during uh, the day today, we actually re-ran the uh, the three debates from the primary season, uh, or excuse me, from the general election uh, season, and um, uh, listening in, and uh, I I chuckled remembering that uh, all the firefighters that were there. So I have to ask, are you going to be getting them taller ladders and sharper axes and shinier trucks now?
3: We are going to make sure that as a city we are listening to all of our city employees responding to the needs of their departments. I appreciate the support that I have from so many of our city employees, but I I can totally tell you that I appreciate the support, the faith that our Portage firefighters put in, you know, to me and into this campaign. I mean, they were out in full force, you know, from this morning to this evening. Um, Every polling place had at least uh, two to three firefighters there, along with our um, our campaign volunteers. You could tell because the firefighters were in yellow and our campaign volunteers were in black. And so it was a great combination throughout the city today.
1: Well, oh, it uh, looks like it's going to be a good combination for the city of Portage moving forward. Austin, congratulations on your victory this evening. We wish you the best of luck, and uh, hopefully we'll be chatting with you again soon as you uh, get your feet settled in this new role. But right now you are officially the mayor-elect defeating the incumbent Sue Lynch. Congratulations on your victory tonight, Austin.
3: Hey, thank you so much, Tom, and just uh, you guys have a great night as well.
0: And you're listening to a recap of Lakeshore Public Media's 2023 general election night coverage with officials from across Northwest Indiana. Having won his first mayoral election in 2020 for the city of Valparaiso, John Costas has done it again. With results showing that Costas beat Democratic challenger Hannah Trueblood, garnering almost 60% of the vote, Mayor-elect John Costas joined regionally speaking host Tom Maloney from his campaign celebratory party at Petler's Pizza Pub. Here's the conversation.
1: But we're going to go ahead and switch over to the phone lines now. Um, we have uh, presumptive, presumptive mayor-elect um, John Costas from Valparaiso joining us on the studio line now. John, good evening.
4: I'm glad to be with you
1: glad to uh, talk with you again and uh, last time we chatted we uh, we were at the Opera House in Valparaiso wrapping up a debate done in partnership with the League of Women Voters of Porter County during that debate John you had a lot of plans laid out and uh, now that question is um, what are going to be the uh, the first steps for you as you transition back into a role that you know very well
4: well first of all I'm, I'm really delighted to have the opportunity to step back into the role as mayor uh, having served Sixteen years, and, uh, and uh, as you know, I released the Costas Plan 2.0 uh, three or four months ago that outlines our priorities uh, to move, to keep the city on track. So the, the goal is to uh, is to implement that plan. Um, the The council we the council will be now controlled by Democrats in Vallejo so because uh, they won five of the two seats. So the first order of business will be to to uh, work closely with the council. And to make sure that uh, that, uh, that my priorities align with them, and there'll be some certainly some give and take. So that'll be the first order of business, and also to complete a lot of the uh, great projects that Matt Murphy has underway here in the city of Valparaiso.
1: And that's uh, that is uh, Mayor Matt Murphy, who is uh, stepping down because of a uh, a new job opportunity. Um, and he was running for city council. I don't know how that race wrapped up. Is he, is he one of the, uh, the two Republicans to win tonight, or did, did he lose his at-large bid?
4: So uh, it, it appears that, and we believe the results are final, that we, we lost both at-large council seats and two district seats. So uh, the makeup of the council will be uh, five Democrats and two Republicans, which is a big change from, uh, from years past. And so um, I will adjust to that and work with our duly elected council persons and uh, and look forward to uh, forging uh, the way forward with them here in the next four years.
1: Always kind of interesting to see a city council race go the opposite way of a mayoral race. Um, if you don't mind maybe pontificating, what drew voters to you uh, as the mayoral candidate, uh, but maybe not necessarily... Um, for those uh, other Republican city council races?
4: Well, um, my, my opponent was pretty much unknown and very inexperienced in terms of leadership, uh, um, leadership experiences. So, and I'm a proven commodity in the sense that I led the city for 16 years and we, uh, we, uh, had a lot of success during those 16 years. So there was really a, a big gap in proven experience. And I think uh, that's why I drew a lot of Democrat votes, um, but clearly it is it is a sea change uh, here in the city, and exactly uh, why that happened. I and mean, one of the reasons is uh, the the vote turnout wasn't near as good as it was even four years ago. So uh, I mean, that's an issue whether or not we got our voters out. But um, but I'm sure there are other reasons, and I think we'll be um, um, you know thinking hard about what those what what. Reasons for change are and being responsive to the vote.
1: As you uh you transition back into the role of mayor again. This will be your fifth uh term as mayor, though not consecutively. It was uh four straight before you stepped down. Mayor Matt Murphy victorious four years ago, but now he steps down and uh you are taking back the uh the mantle of mayor of Valparaiso. And uh John, we wish you the best of luck over your uh, your next four years at the county hub there in Porter County. Congratulations on your victory this evening. Thank you. Nice talking with
4: you. Have a good evening.
0: And you're listening to a recap of Lakeshore Public Media's 2023 general election night coverage with officials from across Northwest Indiana. Leading with two-thirds of the votes against independent opponent Teddy and Jackson... Democrat candidate Josh Huddleston will be the next mayor of Hobart. Having served as the city council's second district representative for the last seven years, the excited and exacting mayor-elect joined Lakeshore Public Media's election night coverage, sharing his plans for his beloved hometown. Here's the conversation.
1: Switch over now to the phone lines and we've got... uh... Mayor elect out of the city of Hobart, Josh Huddleston. Josh, I think we're going to call you Mr. Bricky from now on. Congratulations on your victory tonight.
5: Hey, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Uh,
1: How does it feel to uh, to go ahead and uh, take home the uh, win in your uh, your your first run for mayor?
5: I tell you what, I you know I we kind of launched this back in in January. Just kind of our, our you know our love for the community and our love for this city is um, kind of resonated with the voters, and it feels great tonight. Um, the voters came out, and uh, I think a, a pretty good voter turnout, and uh, it was an overwhelming win. And, and we're we're happy and proud of the campaign we ran, and uh, just happy to be able to lead the city that I love.
1: And uh, the last time we had a chance to talk was during the Hobart mayoral debate. At the uh, first Unitarian Church in Hobart, uh, done in partnership with the League of Women Voters of the Calumet area. Um, so, as always, thank you for participating in that. Um, what is the uh, the biggest thing that you're going to look to accomplish here as you transition into the role of mayor?
5: Yeah, you know what I think right now um, is the uh, the Route Thirty corridor is super important to the, to the uh, not only the, the the vibrancy of the city of Hobart but the region as a whole. Um, you know, I think, you know, we, we got to look at the, the city of Hobart as kind of that linchpin in the middle that kind of connects Lake and Porter County and just kind of utilizing that area as kind of an economic driver. So we're going to look to invest in the Route 30 corridor and literally use that as an anchor to allow us to invest in other parts of the, of the community.
1: Yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting how, how similar uh, the city of Hobart as well as Valparaiso is. We just heard from Valpo Mayor John Costas moments ago, who is uh, the presumptive victor this evening. Um, he'll be embarking upon his fifth term as mayor. Um, but uh, the city of Valparaiso, of course, they have their own Route 30 corridor as well as their own downtown and then their own. Route 49 corridor, um, so they've got a lot of different areas of economic growth and availability. Hobart, very similar, has the Route 30 corridor. Of course, so many people think it's Merrillville, but a lot of it actually does belong to the city of Hobart, as well as downtown Hobart. Um, how will you as mayor sort of uh, marry those those two areas together to to be able to get those working together for the city?
5: Yeah, you know, I, I think sometimes you know trying too hard to marry them together sometimes you know, sometimes they kind of stand on their own as their own identity. And I think it's important that uh, we invest in both of them equally and understand the importance that both of them play a role in our community. Uh, So I think it's important that we we recognize that and kind of work to to their strengths. Um, You know, our downtown kind of creates that hometown Hobart feel where the Route 30 creates that kind of a bigger city feel. And sometimes trying to marry them doesn't necessarily make sense. So just making sure that they're able to stand on their own accords and uh, kind of fuel each other. You know, I would love to get more people from the Route 30 corridor into our downtown to support our, our small businesses and obviously vice versa. Uh, and that's something that we're going to be tasked with. You know, as you alluded to, uh, the Maryville mailing address does uh, lend a, um, you know, it is kind of a... Like, People think it is Maryville, but it is actually Hobart. So, just kind of, you know, from a marketing standpoint and from just an outreach standpoint, just letting people know that that is Hobart, um, and uh, just kind of investing out there to make it uh, sustainable and keep those values uh, sustainable. As we're seeing with the the South Lake uh, Mall tax appeal, um, we got to make sure that that Route 30 corridor does does stay because um, as that goes, our city goes, and I think that's an important uh, piece of this puzzle.
1: It certainly is. And, of course, uh, one of those other pieces downtown is um, the availability of housing as well as uh, the issue with buildings downtown. Um, How will you as mayor look to go ahead and uh, tackle the the issues with blight and uh, buildings that uh, seem to be uh, the infrastructure issues that seem to be happening there?
5: Yeah, you know what? I think uh, over the last eight years since I've been a part of the council, we've kind of made an investment in in kind of the infrastructure downtown, and we're seeing the investment right now. We have lots of uh, buildings that are that are looking to be occupied lots of inquiries on our business our buildings uh we've done a really good job of removing some of the buildings um that maybe weren't very you know in in compliance with code so we've done a lot of positive things and if you take a you know i encourage everyone to take a walk down our lakefront um it's really making a huge comeback you know the last uh eight years has really you know you can see the investment that both public and private partnership and we think that's the best way um to make this work is both public and private and we're seeing that um, kind of come to fruition. Uh, we're getting lots of inquiries on uh, lots of parcels, lots of businesses um, in our downtown.
1: And I should note uh, this message just popping up from, uh, from your challenger uh Teddy Jackson. Quote, I just got off the phone with Mayor-elect Josh Huddleston. I congratulated him on earning the mandate of the people by winning this election. I congratulated him on a race well-ran and sent congrats to his family, friends, supporters and volunteers. Thank you to everyone who participated in these elections. Thank you for keeping this race clean and dignified. Hobart won tonight. Democracy won tonight. Thank you, Teddy and Jackson. Uh, Josh, I must say that uh, you and Teddy probably ran the cleanest, nicest campaign I think I've ever seen. So much so that you two actually hugged on stage during the debate. Um, it was a, uh, a moment for sure that uh, will we'll live forever in my head, especially when it comes to uh, local debates, local elections, to be able to see uh, two candidates with opposing views and different visions, but nonetheless wanting the best for their home city. Um, so, again, congratulations to you on your victory tonight, as well as a, uh, a, a clean and, and well-done uh, campaign during this political season.
5: Tom, yeah if I could comment on that honestly i you know I'd appreciate uh the opportunity to say a couple words on, on Mr. Teddy Jackson you know, yeah we've yeah, an go absolute ahead. Clean, we had an absolute clean campaign, and I have the utmost respect for him, his his wife Josephine, and his entire family, and all of his campaign workers um you know i think I think Hobart tonight. Um, and Over the course of the last you know, 11 months, set the example for, for what politics and, and running for office truly should be. Um, it was really truly a gentleman's race. Um, we stuck to the issues. We stuck to the things at hand. Uh, it was a very a clean race. Um, and, and to Teddy's point, I think Holbert did. You know, I think Holbert won. I think we 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 restored the faith and, 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 and the political process, and, and hopefully we set the example for more communities to follow. Um, I think it's uh, something that is uh, that that is needed. Um, I think it's something that should be done, and I think it's something that the the rest of the communities across the county and the state and country can, can emulate there.
1: Josh, thank you so much for your time this evening. And, of course, congratulations on your victory tonight. Mayor-elect Josh Huddleston, Mr. Bricky himself, congratulations.
0: Hey, thank you very much, Tom. Appreciate you guys. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media.
1: Welcome back to Regionally Speaking. I'm Tom Maloney. She is State Representative of District 19, Julie Oltoff. Julie, welcome to the studios here at Lakeshore Public Media.
6: Well, thanks for having me.
1: Great to have you in. And uh, wanted to catch up with you. It's been a while since we've chatted. And uh, I'll, I'll throw the, the first question out for you. How did the, uh, the session go this last session? I know it's been a couple of months and you're already <laughs> looking ahead to the next one that starts in just a couple of weeks. But uh, what were you able to go ahead and work on uh, last session?
6: Last session, of course, was the budget year, the long session. We passed a good budget. It's been a while, so I don't know that I could remember all the details, but I remember the bills I worked on specifically. Um, I had a few go through, so Mm -hmm. I was excited about that. Um, The one that I'm most excited about has to do with the foster care world. Um, You know, Indiana's trying to find more and more foster parents, and we still are. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of stresses that were happening um, throughout the system. We sat down with a foster parent um, association group and came up with a list of all the things we wanted to see if we could tweak for the state to make them better. We had four bills with four legislators. We all co-sponsored each other's bills, and we were able to get three out of the four done. Um, One of the things that mine uh, did was to give better communication to foster parents. For example, they will receive a bill of rights that they have. They were afraid of talking to legislators for fear of retaliation. Mm -hmm. So um, we settled that, and I could go on and on. (laughs)
1: There there was a lot there. You know, it's one of those things where, as a representative, you're, you're taking care of the, the most vulnerable who are children, and, frankly, children in the foster care system. And, you know, it's one of those yes. things you think of foster care systems, and, unfortunately, the headlines tend to be what's wrong with them and what happens to children in these systems. And so uh, being able to work together uh, to, to see that and be able to take care of kids, I think, is really, really valuable in that regard. Um, I know something else that was uh, near and dear to your heart is uh, 988 and the the suicide hotline, yes. um, It's a uh, it's a relatively new thing coming out. Uh, can you give us some more details on that?
6: I sure can. So there's no reason for a suicide because it's preventable. It's one of the most preventable causes of death that is out there, and. Now we're seeing more and more statistics about um, post-COVID and mental health stresses. So the state added not only a 988 infrastructure that's still honestly um, being built out, Mm -hmm. but we're almost there. We gave a lot of resources to Crisis Center in Gary to help build out the phone answering system that they have there. And they're partnering with regional mental health here in Maryville to build out even more. So we want people to call 988, have someone to talk to, have some place to go, and somebody that cares. So there's mobile crisis vans that you'll start seeing in the area. I know regional just, they didn't break ground because they have the building, but Mm -hmm. they sledge a drywall (laughs) to say, these walls are coming down and it's going to be a place where the police officer could take someone who's in a crisis that doesn't need to go to jail. They need a place to calm down, talk to somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, relax. And I guess that would run a little bit of a spectrum, but they would have someone that could... Um, maybe do a little bit of a analysis and see, you know, is it just momentary or do they need a place to stay for a little bit? Uh, all of this is going to be folded into the two one one offerings, which has so many resources on um, places for food and shelter and domestic violence and yeah. on and on. So it's going to be a really good thing. And I think, you know, you pour. Money and people and buildings into a problem, and you really want to see it effective and I really believe that it will make a difference
1: yeah it it, it certainly will and I, I can hear you getting getting choked up on that and it's it's something that you know Hoosiers live with uh people in illinois live with people in Michigan people across the country live with, and so having that opportunity to um, have the resources built in at that state level. Uh, I think it's frankly, it's going to be really valuable for uh, members of the community and uh, being able to access that. And of course, um, I know that uh, vets are a big thing for you as well. Julie, there's an event Thursday.
6: Yes, there is. So there's a brand new facility being built in Maryville called Web House, and it's going to be a home for women veterans. Uh, many times, uh, women come out of service. They maybe uh, face other challenges like a place to live. Sometimes they have children, sometimes facing divorces. There's so many situations and they find themselves homeless. Mm -hmm. So this facility will be able to hold, I believe it's 10 women at a time, plus their children. No men will be allowed to stay there. But the coolest thing about it is the trades are going to go and uh, teach them how to be an electrician, how to be a carpenter, how to be a teamster. And these are really uh, high quality jobs with good pay. Mm -hmm. And if you're a woman, you could get a job in those fields Instantly, because there's such a need for that, and diversification is so important. So, in all of those causes, it's the right time and the right place for a facility like that.
1: And uh, per capita, Indiana has one of the largest veteran populations in the country, and so it's definitely something that, uh, that matters. Um, and as we, we look ahead, um, you know, something else that's, that's sort of popped up on the horizon, of course, is AI artificial intelligence and uh, we're all kind of learning about it in real time it it feels like when you're taking a test at school and you you didn't study and you're like oh this is the stuff i should have learned a few weeks ago but the reality is ai is shaping our world as we know it it's something that uh, is being discussed at state houses across the country being discussed in washington dc as well Um, I know that's something that's going to be on your horizon looking into the future.
6: It is. I'm on the Business and Commerce Committee, and I think some of the bills will come to us that have to do with AI. It's a huge, huge topic that touches everything from economic development to innovation to campaigning and ads and marketing and chat. GPTC or yeah, how you GPT say it, throw, <laughs> throw a couple extra letters. Right, how there. you yeah. use it, what is good, what's bad. But what we're hearing is the increase in use of AI will exponentially grow so fast. Mm-hmm. So there's much talk about it needs guardrails. We need to protect people's privacy. We need to uh, see what makes sense and. I believe this session we will at least do something. It might not be everything that's needed, but it's a short session. We only have 10 weeks. No budget
1: this time around.
6: No budget. Um, There's a limit to what kind of money you can ask for and the financial leaders on both ways and means and appropriations in the Senate will let you pass little tweaks and ask for little bits. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it ties to the financial reports on how big a little tweak means. So we play that game. Can a hundred thousand? Can I have a million? <laughs> I don't know. Both? Can but, I have both? Yeah. So there, there's always that discussion going on.
1: Right. So mm-hmm. we'll uh, we'll be keeping an eye on all of those things. Julie, you're actually here in the studio. I'm actually here as well. We're not robots or AI voices (laughs) um, yet. I I can
6: see what's coming out of your mouth. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: Um, And uh, I want to thank you for joining us here on Regionally Speaking and taking time out of your day to obviously talk with constituents and members across Northwest Indiana. Best of luck coming up at the next short session at the State House. And thank you for your time.
0: You're welcome. Thank you so much. You're listening to Regionally Speaking or listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. Webhouse, Inc. Center for Homeless Veterans is hoping to build a home where 10 female veterans at a time can live temporarily while receiving work training and obtaining housing on their own. The three-story house, which was designated as a group home, is proposed to be built at 7700 Grant Street in Miraville, and would be named after Marine Sergeant Jeanette Winters, a Gary native, and the first woman Marine killed in combat in Afghanistan. Joining us now is Robert Farmer, the Executive Director of Webhouse, Inc. Robert, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking.
7: We're glad to be a part of uh, Lakeshore TV.
0: Bob, you're here with us today to share the details about your organization, The Webhouse, Inc. So share with our listening audience what exactly is The Webhouse?
7: First of all, Webhouse itself uh, started in 2009. It was a vision, as one would say. Uh, I was down at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, dealing with the psych assessment of all of the returning uh, military personnel from Iraq, Afghanistan. I later moved from there to Fort uh, to, to uh, Nashville, where I worked for the VA there in their homeless program, which gave me even more of an idea of what we could do back in Northwest Indiana that would benefit veterans and mainly benefit female veterans and their children. House was, uh, as they say, born for the purpose of trying to address the major And that's uh, sort of a a little bit of a nutshell Mm -hmm. of what Webhouse was, you know, as far as like incorporated for.
0: I shared a bit in my opening, but how did the Webhouse actually get its name?
7: We initially started out with the, uh, I guess you say, we had a real good support or in terms of there was a female, named name was Jeanette Winter. Jeanette Winters was the first female killed in the Afghan-Iraq uh, conflict. And as a result of that, it was returning to Northwest Indiana. And this was back in 19, I mean, a 2008, 2009. It was to... Build off of that, the fact that, hey, here it is, first time female had died in combat over there, and it was like she's from Northwest Indiana.
5: Hmm.
7: She was uh, born and raised in Gary, Indiana, and it was not only that, but she also covered another issue, which was she was African-American. So. It sort of opened a door to say, hey, we can deal with something that's going to bring out the highlight of a female uh, in the military. Because since that point in time, the military has gone from maybe 1% female to now we're anywhere between 4 to 5%. Uh I wow. mean, a female... Uh, in the military. So this this type of thing has opened up those doors and has given us the opportunity to say, Hey, we maybe can make a difference.
0: Well wow, Bob, you know, we're just a few minutes into our interview and and I can just hear your passion. And but I just have to ask you, what is your connection to veterans?
7: I went from here to Washington D C where We seeked out the funding because I am a military brat, as they say, and finished high school there at Fort Dix, New Jersey.
0: Great. Now, what services will be provided at the web house?
7: The services that we are are prepared to offer will be not only the normal counseling service, but we're also looking at educational services. We're looking at working with our local unions, and that is the big thing that we have been able to, I guess one would say, accomplish in terms of their interests. And that is all because we look at it and say, here is a female that, what is the problem? She was a medic in the military. All of a sudden... She gets out she can't get a job at let's just say as an example at Methodist Hospital as a slow bottomer. And that becomes even more of a big issue or challenge because why can't she get a job? So it becomes as I said very easily to say, let's look at a real employment source that can help or support these ladies. Now, with that being said, it became even more on my side to look at uh, providing or challenging helmets to hard hats, which uh, has always been a real thing of saying, okay, they are able to Assist a veteran with going to college and everything. But here we are trying to say, let's get this female veteran a job, a real job, not just to say getting her a job that, you know, she may be there for a year or two, but something that she really wants to do. And that's where working with the local unions. Uh, which we're seeing with them in need of trying to say we need to hire females. What better opportunity than it is to hire a female veteran? Because, number one, she knows how to accept orders. Number two, she knows that, or you can just about say, She's gonna be on the job every day, you know, and yet we still are working with females that are in the stage where yes, they could become pregnant, but there again, you still are looking at a hard worker. And we're we're looking at that to say here is the opportunity or the way it was presented to both the Department of Defense, as well as to the Veterans Administration, as to say, give us the opportunity to provide this service to our veterans.
0: We're speaking with Robert Farmer, Executive Director of Webhouse, Inc., Center for Homeless Veterans. So, Bob, with the economy being such that it is right now, you know, it's imperative that employment and training services are available for all Northwest Indiana community members and particularly women veterans. But I'm thinking about other reasons women may seek human services assistance from organizations like yours. And I can't help but bring up issues and concerns with personal safety due to domestic violence issues you know, be it emotional, financial, or even physical abuse. So how does Webhouse plan to address those concerns?
7: The other portion of all of this little scenario is trying to make sure that we are
3: assisting
7: a female veteran that maybe, in many cases, she may be in a situation where, here it is, She's staying in a relationship, which is very vulnerable or very violent, but this female has a child. So therefore, it becomes even more of a challenge for her to say, okay, I'm going to leave this guy or leave this relationship. When, where can I go? at which time she's thinking about going somewhere. But the main thing is she can't go because she has a child.
0: So, Bob, take me back for a moment, if you will. What is the genesis of WebHouse? When did your organization begin to do the work to advocate for and work with women veterans? We
7: started in 2009, and we're still here kicking every day. During this period of time, We have only been fortunate enough. We have received one grant, and that grant came from MFRI, Military Family Resource Institute at Purdue University, and it was for $2,500.
0: We're speaking with Robert Farmer, Executive Director of Webhouse, Inc., Center for Homeless Veterans. To your point about speaking of support... Have you had any veterans of influence if you will that that have taken part in advocating or even supporting Webhouse Inc
7: during this whole process we have had in attendance we've had senator Tammy Duckworth who came and she did a purple heart ceremony for us we've had general Carol Mutter uh, she was one of the first uh, of Marines to receive a three-star. We've had General Loretta Reynolds, who also was the first female to uh, command Paris, South Carolina, which was a Marine base. We have had a uh, an array of people that have come and been a part of are different things that we have hosted. We had on our 10th anniversary, we had uh, the Indiana-only Silver Star person, uh, Medal of Honor, please forgive me there, and that was uh, Sammy Davis. He came and he was here for us to celebrate our anniversary. So again, with all of that being said, we have gone through quite a bit as far as like having people here. We have gone through on a regular basis. We try to make sure every Christmas or Thanksgiving that we have teamed up a partner with Tyson Turkeys down in Indiana who provide us with turkey, we make sure that the veterans have a turkey dinner. Uh, Either we get it from there, we get hams out of Kentucky. So we still are constantly trying to fill in whatever we can to assist the veteran family.
0: Wow, it sounds like you have a lot of allies in your corner for your organization. Are there any other individuals or organizations that help provide support?
7: Not only do we work with athletes, and that is uh, pro-athletes from the Bulls, the White Sox, or even the the Bears, that have been able to help us with making sure we get three tickets for the Bears game. Uh, free tickets for the Bulls game. Uh, oh, one of the other key persons we've had here for us was also Jessica Lynch. Uh, she was the first female prisoner of war. And Jessica has become a real good support for us, as well as looking at uh, the other athletes we had. We had uh, um, Rocky Blyer, Friar from uh, uh, Notre Dame, as well as Rocky was also a great star with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mm
3: -hmm. which
7: Rocky had one of the great uh, lines that he said when he came, and he said the only thing he remembered mostly that was important to him when he went to uh, Vietnam was the fact that he, he was sitting there And he said, at that time, most of my foot had been blown off. He said, but uh," he said, the only thing I could think about was what one of the nuns told him in Notre Dame. And that was, now don't you go over there and get killed. So that was his big thing was like, oh, I can't get killed. I've got to make it back. And so, Mm -hmm. again... With all of those, as boards, we've had general honoree, we've had uh, just, a, again, an array of people that have come. And in many cases, it never generated any real money, as one would say. We are a nonprofit organization that has been incorporated yet. For some reason, we don't get. The
0: donation,
7: yes, monetarily donation,
0: yes. And now, Bob. Okay, Bob. So, you recently hosted a big event to raise funds for the Web House. How will those funds be used to support Web House?
7: Funds are to be used for the ladies that are in our facility, as far as like personal items, items for their children, because these ladies are able to bring into the facility, they can have two children from birth to 12. And as everybody knows, or most parents know, that children are always in need of something. And when it comes down to the uh, parents themselves, there's always need for personal items. Also, we would like to say The funds are going into an account where once the ladies leave our facility, and this is something, they're not coming to stay with us as far as an apartment living. No, this is only from six to nine months, and that is the time that they would be able to hopefully get into the apprenticeship program or seeking out gainful employment. And with that, they will be able to qualify through the VA for housing, and this way, we will be able to assist them with getting started in a new home for themselves and their family. Uh, This is, again, this location for this uh, projected building is seventy. 700 Grant Street, which is right off of U.S. 30 uh, in Maryville and therefore we try to do as much as possible in the Merville area because this will be the home for our facility.
0: Robert Farmer is the CEO of Webhouse, Inc. Bob? Again, I thank you for spending time with us today on Regionally Speaking, sharing the information about how your organization is working to help women veterans right here in the region.
7: Thank you again for having us.
0: WebHouse is an organization serving homeless female veterans by operating a facility, providing temporary housing and job training designed for work in the building trades. If you would like to offer support or gain more information, you can reach Webhouse CEO Robert Farmer at 219-730-6593 or via email at webhouseinc41 at gmail.com. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. Thanks to our guest. And we'll be back with you next week with an all-new show. In Kentucky.
4: Kentucky made a choice. A choice not to move.